Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is how exceptional companies grow with my friends Sarah Ahern and Jonathan Mackay. Sarah and Jonathan are partners in a company called PATH, P-A-T-H, all caps. And PATH is a supply chain market research and business management firm. I saw Sarah do a presentation at TMSA, that's Transportation Marketing and Sales Association, And I knew right away that I wanted to interview her. So if you want to make your company exceptional, check out our conversation. So how's it going, Jonathan? How's it going, Sarah? Great. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Same. I'm I'm not used to interviewing two people, so excuse my awkwardness. But And you guys are the first brother-sister team that I have ever (laughs) interviewed. Maybe the last two. I can't imagine there's a lot. <laughs> and so, we're good at interrupting each other if we need to, so don't worry about that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, please introduce yourself and your company, and then I'll let you go, Sarah. Absolutely. Jonathan Mackay, a partner at PATH, a data-driven business and management consulting firm based out of Columbus, Ohio. We've been around for about 40 years, serving clients across many industries, but certainly focused throughout the supply chain, your OEMs, your dealer distributors, your 3PLs, your transportation companies. And we operate around the core belief that people are the way to grow. That by focusing in on people, that's ultimately what creates a lasting growth curve for your business. And we bring the data and insights to help navigate those challenges. All right, Sarah, why don't you continue on that theme, introduce yourself, and but, but, by the way, Jonathan, where are you calling from today? Columbus, Ohio. All right, how about you, Sarah, where are you calling from today? Same, we're just offices over from each other. All right, Sarah, why, <laughs> why don't you give us your two cents on what PATH does? Yeah, Jonathan did a great job. We're a family business, as you mentioned. Our mom started the company 40 years ago. And supply chain has been in our DNA since the very beginning. Our first clients were logistics companies, transportation, as Jonathan mentioned, manufacturers, distributors. Uh, So we've really grown up in that space, both figuratively and for Jonathan and I, literally grown up in that space. Yeah. Uh, And like Jonathan said, we help organizations learn more about their customers and the market and turn it into action faster than the competition. We're big believers that data is only as good as the action it drives. So that is our our focus as an organization. Yep. And I met Sarah at TMSA and I don't even know if we actually met, but I sat in on one of your presentations. I was in the back and it always feels like with, I was getting text messages and stuff, but I was real excited to hear what you had to say about how this business is so often commoditized and how you have to get out of that commodity mindset. And I'm sure there's lots of people listening going, yeah, great, Joe. Great. (laughs) My customers only care about the price, the services assumed. That does me no good, (laughs) but you guys are (laughs) going to educate us. Tell us a little bit about, I know you grew up in this business, but where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined the family biz. Yeah, absolutely. Grew up, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. I'll give a plug for the Buckeyes. Born and bred a Buckeye. Well, I'm fan. right here in the Ann Arbor's backyard. <laughs> I, I, had, I had to call it out. I had to. We don't just meet on the football field and basketball courts. We actually work together. Exactly. That's right. 
<laughs> yeah, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, went to school at John Carroll University, where I studied economics. It's always just had a fascination for how things worked, right? If this is an outcome we're trying to understand, what are the various pieces that bring it all together? And economics gave me such a great understanding of those macro and micro elements that really drive behavior. And originally, my intention was to get into finance. At the time, that was they were the exciting field, right, where all the romance around business was going out, making a bunch of money in finance. And so that was where I started my career, selling securities, managing portfolios, loved it, met a lot of great people. Then the 08, 09 recession hit and finance wasn't such a great place to be. Um, and so I decided it was time for a career change. At which point I was wondering where I was going to go. And my mother, who Sarah mentioned, founded the business, said, hey, come help me with a few things until you figure out what you want to do. Apparently, I'm still figuring out what I want to do because 14 <laughs> years later, I'm still in the business. And I realized when I started doing this, it was a lot of data and reports. And I was like, oh, gosh, I'm back in college, right? Putting together reports and whatnot. But I, I finally started to realize that what we're really doing is giving people a voice in organizations and that organizations are really some of the most powerful agents of change. Almost with the snap of their fingers, they can change the lives of the thousands of people associated with their organization. And that's when I really started to understand the purpose behind what we do. When we talk about data and insights, what we're really talking about is the voice of the people associated with your business and how you can better adapt to that and, and bring yourself closer to that. And that we believe is what really drives the success of organizations in the long run. And that's what we do today. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So Sarah, tell us your story about how you ended up at the family biz. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And then some career highlights before you joined. Yep. Grew up as Jonathan's older sister in Columbus, Ohio. So have been teasing him now for 36 years and get to do it every day in business. And who, who could be a luckier older sister than me? <laughs> I went to Boston University and then Ohio State and at that point, moved to D.C. I was excited to get out of Columbus and experience other things. Had the opportunity to move from D.C. to California and focus in on the healthy food industry. I, I was a chef for a while. I went to culinary school. I got my master's in health education with a focus on nutrition. And then I launched a B2B and a B2C wellness program for Whole Foods Corporate, the Northern California regional office, and had just an amazing experience working with some of the bigger tech companies in the Bay Area, partnering healthy food and employee engagement. Left Whole Foods and started a consulting firm with my business partner then, came back to Columbus, wanted to be around family. And that was my, I think, my biggest lesson in market timing. Came back really revved up, excited to sell healthy food as employee engagement in Columbus. Not the right market timing for that particular concept. <laughs> and I think Jonathan is a great strategist because he saw an opportunity and said, you know what, Sarah, if you're not going to do that, we've got this family business over here. <laughs> uh, you can help us. <laughs> and so I joined in 2014, really through that lens, partnering research with action to help organizations build better go-to-market strategies, help them better understand their customers, build great experiences. And so it's been really fun to work with family. And we, we're really lucky. We have fabulous clients, some of which we've been working with for 27 years ongoing. And so we, we really have great customer relationships. I think also, I, I know you're in, both in Columbus. I think that I'm right near Ann Arbor. And I know it comes up every once in a while on my podcast is that 
I think some of the best places to live right now is in college towns, big college towns. Oh, yeah. Because they have all sorts of great restaurants usually. I know. They also have all these smart people there doing really interesting dynamic things. And they are business hubs now because they are usually yeah. throwing off so much research. And I know Ann Arbor has this huge hospital chain. And I know you guys have the same down in Ohio because I've watched when your coaches talk, there's always the uh, hospital on the background. <laughs> and they just built a billion dollar add on to the genes. So, yeah, that's a big deal. Billion dollars is a lot of money for many organizations, but for a university, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Right. Now, I saw University of Michigan's building um, budget, not the whole budget, building budget was larger than the GDP of 40 countries. I was like, I believe that. I believe that. Who else is building buildings? Yeah, don't get me started. I love I love college sports, but I will say the universities and the and we say we're in a crash course to see what gets upended first: the college model or the amateur football. No kidding, <laughs> amateur basketball. Yeah, not so model. amateur. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to it, I think these are great cities to live in. The mid-sized cities in the U.S. Grand Rapids. I know Ohio has a million mid-sized cities. They are much easier to live in than the big cities these days. Yeah. It, it's so interesting you call that out because part of the DNA of our company since the beginning is connection with the OSU. We had two OSU professors that were founding partners in our firm and who still are strategic partners. But also we have this amazing pipeline of PhDs that come out of OSU that are interested in translating their skills from academia to the business world. And we have been partnering, we've partnered with so many of them, which provides such value to our clients and to our business, but also give us an opportunity to help influence the next generation of researchers and data insights people. So it's been really interesting to be in a college town. Yeah. And then you get up, take them out on the field, see how fast they run the 40, see what they can bench, yeah. <laughs> figure out if they're a good fit for the company. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's switch gears. I want to talk about how exceptional companies grow. Sarah, you got the first point here. How, and this, I'm assuming this is the way you guys do business. The name of your company again is what? Path. And who do you guys, who's your sweet spot? So we work in the middle market. Typically companies, the smallest 30, 50, 100 million up to Fortune 100 companies. And supply chain is really, like I said, bread and butter. We work in professional services as well. Um, we have a tendency to work with complex businesses. That's why B2B works so well for us. Because data, one of the most powerful things about data is it turns down the noise and helps you in very complicated environments figure out what matters and simplify that for your organization so you can take decisive action. And so those complicated businesses, we work really well with. Excellent. Excellent. So what is the first thing that you guys do when you talk to new customers? What's I, I, I've wrote down four things that you guys want to talk about today, but what's the first thing you do? Yeah. So you hit it. It's in the name of our company. PATH actually stands for people are the how. Because as Jonathan mentioned in the beginning, our core belief, what we built our company around, is that in order to grow, you have to focus on people. And that's part of the reason why we talk about this in the way we do. You can definitely be a good company and not focus on people and bring them into every decision and empower them with a voice. But you can't, and this is based on our 40 years of experience, but also on 
so many other studies that prove this out. You can't be an exceptional company and not focus on people. And so that's why we bring data to the table to help translate what people, customers, employees want into a language that the organization can understand and can be meaningful to a company, which is, it's, there's a lot of friction there. It's hard for organizations to change, to do things differently than they have in the past. And oftentimes it's a lot of what companies want. So we sit in the middle use data, using data to help companies really focus in on people. And, and when you say, is, when you say people, you mean their internal employees and also prospects and customers? Yeah. So we start with customers, certainly the kind of the starting place for any of these conversations, but customers and employees are two sides of the same coin. You really can't deliver a great customer experience without empowering and understanding the needs of your employees and helping support them and their growth and development. So those provide two sides of this kind of picture. And then the other thing is the landscape it lives in. So the market is that third piece that helps organizations really grow in that decisive way. Yep. One of the things you mentioned data quite a bit, and you guys, I think would, when you look at companies like Path, I, I know you don't call yourself a marketer, but you're more on the marketing than the, I will call sales. That's obviously what your customers are doing. And what's interesting is even 10 years ago, you would look at most marketing and say, ah, oh, too fluffy. It, they aren't adding the value. They aren't, they're the B team. Sales is the A team. Marketing does, I don't know, the website or something. And what's happened, I think not in the last 10 years, I'd say the last three or four years, it's become super data driven and where you're, where now you're able to say, I'll tell you who was on your website this morning and you should call them. Here's their email address. It's a different world than we played in not so long ago. Yeah. We actually did a benchmarking study in partnership with another organization about how the pandemic specifically accelerated the role of marketing in this conversation that really pushed organizations to not just view marketing as a tactical implementation tool, but as a strategic opportunity, yes. how they build competitive advantage and really understand their customers in a proactive way. And, and marketing is a great voice for that, really well positioned in the organization to champion that. Yeah. And I say it all the time. There's people listening to the podcast, logistics, warehousing, fulfillment, transportation and go, yeah, oh, yeah, I don't care about marketing. That's I just want sales. I don't want I don't want any of that. Just give me leads that lead to sales. And but we've seen in the last, especially during the pandemic, but even before that, we've seen VC backed companies, as soon as the VCs get involved, they say, there's going to be a CMO and there's going to be a marketing budget and you're going to spend on it because they know the the value of it. Yeah. And the way we contextualize it is marketing becomes the multiplier because for a long time with many distributors and various companies we work with, if you wanted to grow, increase revenue, you just hired more people, hired more salespeople. Bang the phones. <laughs> yeah. You knew a salesperson generate X amount and I need to create Y amount of revenue. So this is how many salespeople I need. One, we know the labor market is much more challenging. It's not just as simple as just going out and hiring a bunch of salespeople. So organizations need a multiplier. And that's really where marketing can step in and make that impact to help the organization think smarter, act smarter, and be more strategic about where the opportunities in the market are. Because marketing is one of the only functions that sits at that kind of high level looking across things, right? Looking across things like 
past the sale, right? Post-sale activities and into the market of where adjacencies might be, might be happening. That's where you start to see a relationship between marketing and sales that, that creates exponential growth, right? Not that linear add a person and add revenue, but, oh, I can take this customer from here to here by thinking differently about their business. And that's really where, why I think marketing's taken on such a role because with all the companies we know, no one really has small growth goals, right? Everybody has big, grand <laughs> growth goals. And if you really want to achieve that, you can't just look at it the same way you always have. And that's what marketing allows you to do. Think differently and think smarter about how you go to market. Yep. I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on Wreaths Across America Radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. So the first thing you, Sarah talked about is focus on people. And that could be first the customer, but also in your internal team. What's the second thing? that you guys focus on when you work with companies that want to become exceptional? We, we try to understand why they're doing it and where what the goal is and how we can support that goal with data and insights. Because not everybody does, no one needs more data, right? If we just were saying, hey, we have more data for you, everyone is going to be like, hey, I have a balanced scorecard. I'm getting fed from my ERP, all sorts of data. But the key is focus, right? How we can help them focus in on the data points that are most impactful for their business and complement their existing processes and systems. And so we talk a lot about cross-functionality in what we do. So how can we help begin to de-silo this conversation, right? It may start with marketing or it may start with sales. But when you talk about customer experience, there's no one aspect of the organization that can deliver on that over that customer journey. So it's how it's, it's really what why are we what are we trying to achieve and why? And then how can we as your partner bring the necessary insights and data and processes to bear to ensure that the organization as a whole is, is working towards delivering on that promise? And it's not just a marketing initiative or a sales initiative or an operations initiative. So that's probably the next big step is de-siloing this conversation and helping people connect the dots between something operation does over here, sales does over here, marketing does over here, and how that comes together to ultimately deliver on that customer need or promise. How does this, either one of you can answer this, how does this relate to your competitive advantage? Because one of the things that strikes me about transportation, logistics, the warehousing and fulfillment is the challenge of differentiating yourself. What makes you different and better? And that to me seems something that, a lot of companies need help in because what it feels like to me is a lot of companies grow by hiring salespeople and those salespeople usually very young, they get out and they make a hundred phone calls a day and they figure out how to sell this stuff on their own. And that's to me is silly because I want them to, I want them to know what makes us different and better. And I want them to sell on that. Yeah, and this is where we start talking about the competitive advantage mindset. When I'm speaking to groups and at conferences and whatnot, I often just ask the question, what is competitive advantage? What is it that it takes that creates that long-term sustainable differentiation in the market? And I'll often get answers like technology or people 
or processes, Sur right? You, service, you, service, I hear. <laughs> you start to get a list, right? They'll start to list things for you. And, I, and we've all done the same I've heard thing. Integri right? I've heard integrity, customer service. And I always think, go ahead and rank on that for Google. Good luck to you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's the natural thing to start listing all these things. And actually, we asked ChatGPT to bring that into the conversation. The same question. And it did the same thing. It gave us a list of real-time visibility, sustainability, this list of things that all these companies should be focusing on. And But when you look at that list, what's most important? Do I need to do all these things? Do I don't need to do any of them? What's not on the list that I need to be thinking about? You know, what you find is that the list changes, right? If, if that's your idea of competitive advantage, you're going to constantly see change in that list. And therein lies the truth of competitive advantage. It's not a thing, right? It's not a list. It's a mindset. It's a way you approach the business that ultimately creates competitive advantage. And Jack Welch, love him or hate him, he has a great quote around this idea of competitive advantage. And it says, there are only two sources of competitive advantage. The first is your ability to learn more about your customers faster than the competition. So there's this informational, educational side of it. How can we learn all this information? But the other side of it, which is really where the rubber meets the road, is how can we turn that into action faster than the competition? And that's really where this idea of, of mindset comes into play because then the thing is not as relevant, right? It's more, how are you positioning yourself as an organization to be learning and then to take action and not necessarily big action, but to try new things, to test things, to innovate in a way that's sustainable and manages risk associated with your business. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. When you talk about learning, you can you, know, you can have training, you can bring in experts, you can cross train within your organization, you can go to conferences and events. I was talking to a, a professor once and he put it pretty well when, he talk, when we talk about those type of things that anything that your competitors have, have access to, like conferences and so forth, are by definition undifferentiated because everybody has that. So the key is finding something that is truly unique to your business. And that's where, that, this is the case we make, that the customer, that your ability to facilitate a conversation with your customers is ultimately something that truly becomes unique, right? Your competitors can't come in and have that same conversation with right. your customers. And that's where that's a uniqueness that that meets both of those criteria, allows you to learn faster than the competition, and allows you to turn to take specific targeted action related to your customers faster than the competition. And all the while empowering your employees, because you know, we might talk a lot about them and customers, but it's not only about customers. The employees have a, a key role in that as well. Yeah. The one thing that I always think about you know, I, I guess you could say I compete against other podcasters in this space. But for me, those other podcasters means there's a market for one that, that people want to listen to podcasts about logistics and supply chain. But I also think to myself is, yeah, there, there's just different strokes for different folks. So I try to avoid listening to other podcasts too much, not I, by the way, I, I publish three a week. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, whether I like it or not. But when I look at Tim Dooner over at Freight Waves, he does it differently than I do. And Blythe Broomley does it differently. Kevin Hill, Nate Schutz, all the different podcasters out there. And there's 30 or 40 or 50, whatever there is. 
we'll do a slightly different. And if I start copying, say I'm trying to do it just like Dooner does it. I'm not Dooner. I will always be playing catch up on that. I, I can't be him. I will always be second best at being Tim Dooner. And I think the same is true of businesses. You can't be something you aren't. All you can be is after, after running. I'll throw one other thing out there. You mentioned visibility and what ChatGPT would say is important. A few years ago, when the visibility tools became uh, available, 50 companies in a row said, Joe, I'd like to talk about visibility. I was like, we can't all talk about visibility all day, every day. There's other pieces to this business. And by the way, I've also come to the conclusion, visibility is a spectrum. When I was still running a logistics company, we, we said we have real-time visibility. It was EDI, and we would get updates once an hour, whatever it was. We said real-time visibility. Now, real-time visibility means something very different, but it became table stakes. So the idea that you're selling with it is it's doesn't help. And I'll throw one last thing in there. Years ago, I was working on the Jeep Rubicon, which is cool, one of the coolest projects I ever worked on. And I remember we had a consultant come in from the outside and he said, tell me about this, tell me about this product and why people are going to love it, why it's going to win the cover of, we wanted to win off-road vehicle of the year. And we did. And I remember he said, why will this win? And we started saying, because it's going to have disc brakes. He goes, disc brakes? I was like, yeah, it's got brake drums right now. And he says, oh, is that unusual to have those kind of old brakes? I go, yeah. He goes, so disc brakes is nothing special. I was like, no, but customers have been asking. He goes, it's an expectation that I have those brakes a long time ago. And so then he made the point to us, if these are the things your customers asked for, that's the expectation. What you need to figure out is what delights them. And delight is something they didn't know they could have. And you're nailing a key piece of this conversation. You even described it going from that rational, hey, disc brakes and anti-lock brakes, whatever it is, to this idea of the emotional, delighting folks. And it goes back to what you're talking about with podcasts, right? There's a lot of podcasts out there, right? That if all you were saying is, hey, I have this great podcast, customers are going to look at it and say, there's 20 million podcasts out there. They're all the same. I get the best looking. It's, it's this like, yeah, there you go. that's right. There's some attributes. There's some characteristics there. But there's a, a choice that you as a podcaster, we as businesses have to make in this conversation to, to find that differentiation. Because to your point, the game we were playing 30, 20, or even 10 years ago has changed. And I like to use Apple as an example. So Apple sold its first iPhone 15 years ago. And in that year, that com the company was worth around $91 billion. Now, today, the company is worth almost $3 trillion. So in 15 years, this company went from $91 billion to $3 trillion. So how, how did they do that? Apple didn't do that by trying to sell iPhones to everybody, right? They didn't say, I'm gonna, it doesn't matter, we'll make the cheapest phone out there and just try to make sure it's in everybody's hands. They said, we want to be the premium. We have customers who enjoy our curated environment and we're going to cater to them and we're going to make it so great that it's going to attract other customers. They made a choice in this conversation to play what we call the experience game because in this world we live in, there's really two sides to the equation, right? There's this Apple side where they generate $6,000 per square foot of retail profits through the roof. 
And then there's this Walmart side where they generate $16 per square foot of retail and their profits are through the roof. It's the companies in the middle that try to be everything to everybody, the Toys R Us's, the Kmart's that get lost in this shuffle, that just try to say, hey, we have all these goods and services, so does everybody else. So how do you differentiate it? And there's a framework we like to use that's called the experience economy. And it's, I'll use Starbucks as an example real quick here. So how a coffee bean by definition is a commodity, right? A coffee bean from Ethiopia, from Costa Rica, so on. It's a coffee bean. You think 30 years ago, you know, you'd be hard pressed to sell coffee for more than 25 cents a cup. But in today's world, you can, you can buy from Starbucks and spend $12 or you can go to your local gas station and buy a 30 ounce cup for 99 cents. How do they differentiate that? It has to do with this evolution of value, right? That you go from this commodity mindset to a good, to a service, to an experience. And so in today's world, what Starbucks realizes, why are you buying that cup of coffee? Why do we all enjoy coffee in the morning? Because it makes you feel good. That's really what we're driving towards. And Starbucks recognize that. That's why everything about that experience is about making you feel good, right? The environment you come into, the people you interact with. What they understood is that by creating that emotional connection with their service or good, that helps you stand out in a crowded marketplace. That emotions are ultimately what drive behaviors and create our perceptions. And that when we talk to customers, that's what they say too. I choose them because I trust them, because they're reliable. Not simply because they provide omni-channel fulfillment, but they have a great truck fleet. That matters, that's table stakes to get in the game. But when it comes down to choosing, who I'm going to put my business with, it's those emotional characteristics that ultimately differentiate you in a crowded field. And I've said it before on my podcast, and you touched on both of them there, Jonathan, is I'm, I'm old enough to remember before cell phones, we used to get phones from, from the phone company, and they were the ultimate in generica, right? You just got it. Everyone's phone looked the same. I remember when they got push button phones, that was a pretty big deal. <laughs> that was, and uh, that was pretty high tech. But it was the ultimate commodity. Your phone was no better than my phone. Phones were phones. They were all made by Bell. Now people sleep in the street overnight to get a phone. And basically the premium player is the leader. That's completely changed in one generation. And coffee you brought up. In the 80s, coffee the quality of coffee dropped every single year. They were adding more and more crap into the coffee because the whole industry knew for a fact that no one will pay a premium price for a cup of coffee. Now the premium players lead the industry. And it isn't because it's better coffee. I think it probably is better coffee. But basically they said, I'm selling you an experience. When you go to Starbucks and you sit there drinking your coffee and writing in your expensive journal or t playing on your expensive Apple phone, you feel smart. You feel like you're sophisticated. By the way, I have an Android and I joke about it. I'm not cool enough to have an Apple. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 when my daughter went, one of my daughters went off to college, went to Michigan State, and she said, I want to get a different phone. I go, why? She goes, because everybody in my, in my uh, sorority has Apple phones. And she said, she goes, I like my Android better. She goes, but it's just really convenient to be able to plug in and use somebody else's charger. And I was like, <laughs> just got to get along. <laughs> got to get along with the group. The tribe. <laughs> anyway, Sarah, 
before we hit record, we talked about a few things, you and Jonathan. I were talking about focus on people. You already talked about that. Then we talked about competitive advantage. I think Jonathan covered some of that. And I think, Jonathan, you started to talk on this about this knowing which game they're playing. Expand on that a little bit, Sarah. Yeah. Jonathan really framed it up well that you can either be an experienced company. And and I think both of you illustrated the value in that, right? To be a leading player in the field. And the American Customer Satisfaction Index is a great metric we can use to prove that out in the data, right? It's actually a University of Michigan collaboration with the ACSI. And it shows that organizations who go all in on customer satisfaction, who build those experiences, can outperform the S&P 500 by up to 1,200%. And S&P 500, no slouches in there. Great. Sometimes blue chip companies. And this is where we really bring to bear this idea of multiplier, that focusing on delivering great experiences to your customers can be the multiplier. But I don't want to downplay the fact that there is a place for that commodity conversation. This is where it can get confusing for businesses because they come to us saying, and probably to you, all people care about is price. That's all I hear is that people care about price. And for a certain portion of the market, that is absolutely true. That's why Walmart is so effective and so profitable. But there's also this experience game. You just have to make a choice. And then that choice defines our business. Our choice of primary customer, whether it's for commodity or uh, experience, we have to build our businesses to deliver on that. And that's why if you stay in the middle, you really get lost. Yeah, and so that primary customer thing is so important. That's becoming so clear now. It's, this is knowing which game you play. Costco, I think the average income of Costco people is well over $100,000 per year. And I love that place. I, I go there way too much, <laughs> and, but I do most of my grocery shopping there, it feels. But I love that place. Very different than, and very few SKUs compared to Walmart, which obviously does really well. And I think you, I think I've heard it said, no company's done more for lower income people. It's not just lower income people, but no company's done more for lower income people than Walmart. You notice they don't ever get into each other's space. They play different games right? and they right. recognize where they're playing. And by the way, much fewer SKUs at Costco, that's part of their strategy. You look at Trader Joe's, Aldi, very different customers, very few SKUs, right? Companies are playing different games and the companies that are successful know exactly who they are. And without getting at all political, we saw recently with Bud Light, you could argue, did, did they forget who they were? And I don't even think it was necessarily the um, the influencer they hired. I think it was the fact that they had their marketing people come out and diss their current customer. And I guess my point to say, in bringing that up is, it was not knowing, not being self-aware. And as brands, you have to be really self-aware of who you are and what you want to be. She was talking about repositioning the company, which was great, except she said it out loud <laughs> and, and everybody saw it. And they're like, is she look? Is she talking down to me? Who does she think she is? <laughs> right. Well, it, what a great example. I love a controversial example, <laughs> but of trying I try to, to be, avoid them. <laughs> I know. Trying to be all things to all people. 
not standing on one side or the other, either really focusing on your target market, your historical customer, delivering ruthlessly to them, or definitively making a, a pivot and moving in a direction, in a new direction. When you try and be all things to all people, you get lost and nobody knows who you are. And that's really, when we talk about knowing which game you play in the market, that really is it. And we've seen that, particularly in the supply chain industry. Comp 3PL companies couldn't find the space to serve the demand that they were seeing in the market because their doors were getting knocked down by all these different type of customers, which sounds great, right? That sounds like such a win. All right, we got more business than we know what to do with. But what they started to find is that a fair share of these customers were not good fits for their business. So if you just looked at the financials and you just said, hey, look at all this revenue coming in through the door, everything would look great. But when you would start to dig down, you'd start to see more operational challenges. You'd start to see more communication challenges. You'd start to see more values challenges, just different values on how the business has operated. That's really where this starts to create a multiplier because you have organizations have limited resources, right? So if you just open the doors and let everybody comes in, you're going to miss an opportunity with that great customer who's a perfect fit for your business because you're just trying to serve all of these needs and all of these different types of customers. So that ability to choose the game and continue to narrow, right? Really dial into that customer you serve the best. We've seen customers go from 120 clients down to 40 clients while increasing EBITDA, increasing revenue, reducing headcount in their customer service centers, all because they better understood the customers they deliver the most value for. And so there is a really, a real value to just, you know, not just, just taking it as it comes, right? Not just opening the doors and saying all customers are created equal because the truth is they're not. Yep. I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Greenscreens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using green screens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. Pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out green screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So getting back to it, we've seen in the warehousing and fulfillment space, they all grew a lot during COVID. As e-commerce became important, they're like, we are going to be right there. There's a lot of VC money in that space. And I talked to a lot of these guys. They grew fast. And when you're growing fast and you have VC backing, you're like, yes, all you look like great <laughs> customers. Get in here. And then after a while, as they got bigger, they started saying, some of these small guys we brought in, they they need more attention than we can give them. They don't have the technology. They don't have the team. Not a good fit. And by the way, I just interviewed a few months ago, Blake Grolmus from Ruan Trucking, one of my sponsors. And Blake is their VP of safety, among other things. And Ruan is really big into safety and they do a fantastic job on it. They win they win the awards that you can win within safe driving. And he said, 
we are never the low price. And we tell people we are never the low price. If somebody comes in and says, hey, here's an Excel spreadsheet, fill it all out. Uh, they be, might be like, eh, not so sure that we're going to do that. But they're also very much um, values driven. So if you work with Ruan Truck, and by the way, I've visited them in Des Moines, great company, great city. They are kind of Des Moines. And when you get there, you go, oh yeah, this is different. It's a big company, but they are in many ways family. And they're not going to work with somebody who says, hey, are you the lowest price? No, we aren't. We're never going to be. You can't be the safest company. You can't be the company with the highest on time and in full. You can't be the best partner and also say, we're also the cheapest. That's been the that's been the catalyst because before the pandemic, talk about transportation, right? How commoditized like things like the spot market are, right? It's all about price. Who's going to have the lowest price, lowest bid on that? These shippers quickly learned that they will pay a premium to know that their product will get where it needs to get when it needs to get there, that they'll have the truckers they need, right? That equation shifted really quickly to your point that it became more of a, are we a good fit for you, right? Can we work together? And you know what? I'll pay a premium for that. So I think you're finally starting to see it take hold in these markets that traditionally looked at themselves, right? It was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hey, we're commoditized. Everybody has a truck. Anybody can move a load to start to realize that you know, that's not really just what our clients are looking for. Sure, that's table stakes. You got to be able to move the load from A to B. But can you do it in a way where, you know, I have transparency into that, right? I trust the contact. There's somebody I can pick up the phone and call and get an update yes. on what's going on. That those are the type of things that create margin, that create profitability and customers want that. They'll pay. For yep. It reminds me when I was a kid, probably over 21 now, maybe not quite 21, but we used to, me and my friends used to go into these party stores where we grew up and I always say to the Usually there's a lot of immigrants on those party stores. We'd always say, I would like a bottle of your finest and cheapest vodka, please. And they'd go, which, which do you want? Cheapest, best. Yeah, finest, cheapest. And we'd always go, no, give me the very best you have and the cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> that really, I think all of this really highlights why exceptional companies don't guess who their best fit customers are why they have to use a framework because there are contradictory concepts, contradictory reasons why you'd work with a customer. So you have to have a good framework to put it in. And in our experience in the 40 years in business, and then just looking at the market and seeing how other people do this, there are three really clear things people use to evaluate. If first you mentioned it, vision, mission values, are we aligned? Do we have a philosophical alignment? Are they right thinking guys and gals over there? <laughs> yeah. Do, do we believe the same things? We start with people of how, because if you don't believe people are important, we can't provide you any value. That We have people-focused data. There's not much else we can give you. The second is certainly capabilities. And we see a lot of, especially supply chain logistics companies, really hit it home here. They get it. They know what they can deliver effectively and profitably. But this last piece is that what we've all been talking about, which is value potential. What do they want? What do they need? Where are they trying to take their business? How satisfied are they today? Are they getting a lot of value? Is there opportunity to extend? And those three things are what really exceptional companies use to dial it home, to make data-driven decisions about who their best fit customers are. Yes. And I love that. But I think one of the challenges and there's probably other people have seen the exact same thing I have is I know who my best customers are. I think anybody listening can say, I know who my best customers are. 
And they're the ones who don't hold me at arm's length. They're the ones who really value what we're doing and think it's great. But the problem is we don't get enough customers in general. We're trying to grow rapidly. And I'm not going to throw that little fish back because I'm not catching enough fish. Right? And so that gets back to why the you have to have deal flow. <laughs> yeah, if you want to call it that. But that's why you need a lot of opportunities so you can say, I'm going to price this one a little higher because I don't really want it. And that's where you begin to operationalize this because what we're not saying is just get rid of them, right? Go out there and fire all the customers who don't necessarily match, right? That is not what we're saying. It's how you make decisions in your organization to allocate the resources where you're going to have the best ROI. If you have a client today who's constantly banging on your door and saying, I need lower price. I need you to do better. I have an issue. That doesn't necessarily sound like the type of customer that you're going to have this great long-term potential with. And so how do you manage that in a way where you keep it profitable, but it doesn't impact the other sides of your business? It's not pulling all your resources in just to get the job done. And that's the type of where you start to see the operationalization of these concepts where it's, look, I know that customer, they spend money with us, they're here, they're not very satisfied with us. Maybe we can just resolve the issue, make them less frustrated, but we have these five customers over here who love us, right? Who are begging us to do more for them, right? How can we reallocate our focus towards that? And you don't know that simply by looking at the financials or looking at the operationals. You can't just read into that because honestly, some of your biggest customers can be some of your hardest and they might not have that same growth potential or might not even be open up, open to the conversation of, hey, what about these other lines of business you have? How can we support you there? Oh, you guys are right here. We're keeping you there. No, you need that people data, right? To understand the perceptions, the emotional connections you have with the right businesses. So you know where to allocate your future resources. So it's really not just a, either or, right? There's a place for your business and your business probably for some of those more commodity oriented customers. It's just how you manage them in a way where it doesn't pull away from the real opportunities that you have to grow. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to summarize that. I want to get final thoughts from both of you. So um, talking to Jonathan Mackay and Sarah Ahern, and we're talking about how exceptional companies grow. And so First thing we talked about is focus on people, not only customers, but also internal employees. Second, we talked about competitive advantage. We talked about knowing which game they are playing. And I think what you mean by that is, are we being the premium player, being the commodity player? Are we a niche player? Do we, who do we serve? And then the last is knowing the best companies to work with and being able to have some sort of framework around identifying them and to your point, Jonathan, we're not firing the bad customers, but we're going to become aware of where we fit best, who loves us as opposed to who tolerates us. Sarah, give us your final thoughts on this topic, then I'll ask you to go, Jonathan. Yeah. I just want to say that data is noisy, that it's not easy for companies to do this. That's why we're talking about exceptional companies. There are plenty of good companies out there that don't do these things. But if you truly want to be exceptional, if you want to hit those big growth targets, these are the type of things that you have to operationalize in your business to be out there defining the market. And it starts with having great conversations, ongoing great conversations with your customers. Excellent. Excellent. Jonathan, final thoughts from you? 
Yeah, customer experience is, is a buzzword, right? Everybody talks about it, and a lot of organizations think that we live it every day. It's not an easy thing to, to make happen to realize the results. And I remember talking to a CEO of a mid-market 3PL, you mentioned safety, who had driven down their safety issues practically to zero, over 180 days, no safety issues. And I asked him, I was like, how'd you do that? Right? You got a million different things you have to do as a CEO and as a business. How were you able to create this culture around safety? And he said, I make it part of every conversation I have. Every meeting starts with safety. Every meeting ends with safety. Every time I'm constantly talking about safety. And that's really what I think the challenge for organizations are today. When you talk about things like customer experience, it's creating the space in your organization. There's a million competing priorities, right? Financial, operational. But if you want to be that exceptional company, what exceptional companies do is they take the time to survey their customers. They take the time to share those results within the organization and educate and empower their employees. So if you're just looking for that first step towards here, make the space in your organization for this conversation. What do our customers think and feel? What are they trying to achieve outside of our business to get over this hump around just constantly being pulled back to the meme, right? Constantly being pulled back to the financials. So that's, yeah. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And by the way, we, we talked about Steve Jobs just for a minute. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody say, Steve Jobs didn't care about the customer. He just, he was making great products. He didn't care. And I was like, no, he knew these customers. He said things like, oh, I'm, I'm going to ignore customers. He's, the customers that weren't for him, he ignored. But the ones that he wanted to serve, he knew like the back of his hand. And and I think we, we, when you think about the uh, the day-to-day of your business, I think you can look and go, yeah, these guys really love us. We like them too. This is a good fit. We're uh, culturally aligned. And then there's customers where you're like, they always hold me at arm's length. I've said this, no matter what business I've been in, any customer that holds you at arm's length, it's short term. You're leaving them or they're leaving you. It's not going to work out. And we have to just be, get better at those signals. And I would also, I'm not just saying this to pitch your company, but this is why an outside company is helpful because these are, this is fresh eyes. This is a new perspective that I don't think you can do on your own in most cases. Yeah. We like to say, can't read the label from inside the jar. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, Jonathan, and like you, Sarah. So Jonathan, who else should I interview? Someone who's killing it in the space. One of the smartest people I know when it comes to supply chain and logistics is a guy named Tom Goldsby, who started Tom at the Goldsby. Ohio State University and has been at other universities, currently at the University of Tennessee. And he's a guy who's very passionate about the industry, who understands it as, at a depth not many people do, but who also is working with the future generation of leaders in this industry. He's working with students. He's selling this industry, talking about the importance of it and educating folks to come into supply chain businesses and, and make and get excited about this industry, right? And not just look at it as moving boxes or what, what have you, but looking at it as, as having the impact it does, right? Being the, the grease of this economy that keeps everything going. So he'd be a great person. I would love to interview him. I, I like having professors on my podcast because they always have a unique perspective that, and they're working on stuff that we are not quite there yet. And so who would you think I should interview, Sarah? Give me somebody who's killing it in the space. Someone smart and interesting like you two. 
We have had the great pleasure of working with Mark Richards from Associated Warehouses, Inc. He's put together a consortium of regional 3PLs or outsourced distribution companies, and they are able to really compete at an amazingly high level. And Mark and his sons are in the business, Aaron and Tim, and they've built something really interesting and powerful. And so he would be a great person to talk that to. That is so important now because we see we have big companies like Lineage that are buying up other warehousing chains and they're worldwide, they're global now. And then we see other companies like Stored or where to go that are utilizing technology to consolidate a number of warehousing companies. But having a consortium like this makes a lot of sense because the same day, next day world requires that of some warehousing companies. And I think the average warehousing company has one location. I think it's 50% or more have mm -hmm. one location, yes. which worked well prior to e-commerce. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And ask your warehouses if they can find space these days. It's not easy. Finding space isn't easy, especially when you have to find space where people are. And in the labor is a whole nother challenge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have lots of, everybody wants to get their e-commerce stuff, but they don't think about how it gets there. So what conferences will I see you guys at? So we've got a number of them coming up. We're going to be at, at the Associated Equipment Distributors, AED, that's coming up in towards the end of the year, AEM, that'll be coming up similar timeline. And then the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association Executive Summit that's coming up just in a few months. Yeah, that's in September in Chicagoland. I might be there. Yeah, we hope to see you there. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan, I'll give you the final word. Who's the sweet spot for you guys? Who do you work with best? There's two two sides of that answer for me. You have the sort of demographic side. So middle market companies tend to be the best, the 100 million to six, 700 million, because oftentimes they have some of the more ambitious growth ambitions. And so you can talk about supply chain, 3PLs, all those characteristics, really manufactures any of that stuff. But you know what I'd say? What we've talked about, probably the single most important thing is the values conversation. Organizations that one, want to be a premium provider of what they do and are feeling those commoditization pressures, right? They want to be a leader. They want to charge a premium in the market and they put people at the forefront of their decision making, right? They believe in the value of people in their business. If those two, if, if your company meets those two criteria, that's where we can provide the greatest value to organizations because that's where we really help them turbocharge their efforts. I love it. And that is not easy. That is not easy to, you mentioned being a leader. That's really what it requires because it is, it's a scary thing to say, there's this big market, but I only want to work with a small chunk of it that fits my values. It feels like, it might feel good when it's working, but when it's not working, it's really easy to go, I have to compromise a little bit. And the more you compromise, the less you have to meet your goals. And right now we're in a market where there's a lot of people suffering. And I do believe a lot of people are doing shortcuts in operations, which makes things a lot less safe. And I believe people are making a, a lot of compromises when it comes to who they work with. Anyway, Sarah, it was a pleasure meeting and talking to you. Again, I met you at TMSA. I loved your presentation. And Jonathan, it was great talking to you too. 
This was great. Thank you Likewise. so much for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. My first brother-sister team. <laughs> <laughs> I know Thanks. you Been see a the brother-sister duo out there on the road. So if you see us, say hi, please. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you both so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.